Hey, listener, Zach Harper here. Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Here's how it works. The Pick'em Game. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. How big, you ask? I'm so glad you asked that question, listener. You can win up to 100 times your money in a single night. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick'em entry. You can also do rivals picks. You can put like Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brunson against each other. And whoever has more points, more assists, more rebounds, whatever you want to do, that is your rivals pick. I would maybe go with Jalen Brunson in these playoffs. By the way, in the regular season, Jalen Brunson scoring tear, going higher on his point totals all the time. Joel Embiid, whenever he did actually play, higher on his scoring totals all the time. Victor Wembanyama for the next 15, 20 years. Here's a pro tip for you. Take higher on the blocks. That's right. So you're probably wondering, how do you sign up? Oh my God, listener, you are full of good questions today. Sign up with the promo code DING, that's D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick First time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. $250, man, that's a lot. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our code DING, D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick and first time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. Must be 18 or older, 21 or older in Massachusetts, Arizona, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Arizona, 1-800-NEXT-STEP. That's 1-800-639-8783. Or text next step. To five three three four two New York, call the twenty four seven Hope Line at one eight seven seven eight Hope and Y or text Hope and Y four six seven three six nine. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a special edition of Black Opinions Matter. My name is Amino Hassan. I'm joined by Big Waz. And today we got we have a very special panel. We've got really special guests to talk about some important things. It was so important we couldn't even hold it till till the regular episode. We said we're gonna drop an extra episode this week. Uh, so joining us from the Houston Texans, wide receiver, seven-year pro Kenny Stills. Uh, former NBA assistant coach. He's been with the Rockets. He's been with the Suns. He's been with the Pelicans. He's been with a bunch more teams, I'm sure. Irv Roland. And from Yahoo Sports, we've got Vincent Goodwill. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to call him Vinny for the rest of the show because that's that's my guy. Um, I'm really excited about this because Irv and Kenny, you guys were among the people who went to Louisville, Kentucky, protested at the House of Attorney General Daniel Cameron about the Breonna uh, Taylor murder by police officers, uh, were arrested, were booked, and were charged with uh, trying to intimidate an investigation, I believe was a felony charge they hit y'all with. And so uh, we're going to talk about a lot of different things on this on this pod today, but I want to start with with that experience because, I mean, I think the whole country was... A lot of people were out in the streets marching and protesting, but it takes a, another level of commitment, I feel, to, to go into a situation knowing we're about to get arrested. Or, or you, I remember you you sent me a picture of your mugshot, and I was like, hold up, man. Were you were you all out there? And he said, yeah. And so, Irv, let me start with you. Uh, what was the the influence for you guys to to make that trip out there? Yeah, so until Freedom, uh, Tamika Mallory and their group, um, Kenny and I try to support them as much as possible. And, um, you know, the thing with us is, like, that could have been our sister. That could have been, you know, our girlfriend, our mother, like, whatever. And so we just always look at it like, if we got time, we got the means to pull up, we're going to pull up. And, um, you know, everybody shows their support in different ways. Some people... You know, is donate money. Some people, you know, it's some hashtags and and stuff like that. But, but we want to be we want to be front and center. So, you know that that's kind of why we do what we do, man. We we gotta be we gotta be seen. We gotta be up front. Yeah, Ken, Kenny, for you, I mean, right now you're actually uh, with the team, getting ready for the season. But 
Was there any part of you that felt like, is this going to be frowned upon by my employer? Is this going to make things hard for me politically within my own job? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, I, um, one of my heroes is John Lewis. And so I've done a lot of like reading and, and watching his work. And so I've, I've understood this concept of good trouble and understand like we had to do what we had to do to bring more light uh, to this case and more attention to this case. And I understand the position that I'm in as an athlete, as a, as an active football player going there and getting arrested and, and knowing, um, you know, how much attention that that can bring to a case and how much, you know, we can stir up by, by being there and getting arrested. And so for us, um, we had been there in the week, the week or a couple weeks before, and we went to the Capitol and everything was really peaceful. And I kind of went there expecting for things to turn up a little bit more so that we could, um, you know, get some, make some movement and, and some traction on this case. And it didn't happen that way. So when they hit us up saying, we're going to go back in a couple of weeks, you know, we knew we had to pull up and do something about it. I want to ask you guys specifically about getting arrested. Um, can you can either one of you, Irv or Kenny, can you walk us through what exactly happened, what they said you were arrested for, and sort of the process of being arrested for protesting? Because I'm not going to front. I, I don't personally know anybody that's actually gotten the cuffs thrown on them and, and got taken to the bookings um, from protesting. So can you walk us through that process? Yeah. Kenny, you want to take it? You want me to get it? Yeah, so... I mean, we we showed up, and until Freedom didn't really tell us much of the plan, they couldn't tell us much of the plan because a lot of the, you know, we they put out basically a flyer, and so you could sign up based off of an email. So they didn't want to give us too much information because you never know who you know who's on the inside and who's there. So for us, we didn't know what we were doing, but we ended up marching in the neighborhood, and in the neighborhood we were in, it ended up being you know by Daniel Cameron's house, and so we were in the street at first. And we got to a point where we were going to meet up with the police. And so they had told us straight up that they were going to arrest us. And we were in the street at that time. And they told us, okay, well, if you guys, regardless, we're going to arrest you. So, you know, what, what do you want to do? And so, you know, we figured it'd be a better plan to go and sit on his, uh, on his property and get arrested there. And so that's what ended up happening. They arrested us one by one in the heat, um, you know, threw us in a, in a paddy wagon and, uh, Put, put the cuffs on us and then, and then took us down to the jail. I don't know if Irv wants to get into it more. Yeah, so they had us uh, zip tied, um, 87 of us. And, you know, the way we moved, the way we moved, you know, it's, we had more women than men. So we were outnumbered women to men, three to one. And then it was more white women um, than black men there. So when we march, our leaders, as soon as we, you know, get confronted by the cops, they say, yo, allies, get to the front. That way, as soon as the cops approach us, you got the white the white people on the outside and make us look less threatening. Um, so it's like, what are you going to do? Beat up these white women and get to us type thing. So um, Potentially. Like, yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> it could happen. Um, and so we all, you know, we got into the yard, all the white people, um, the allies took the perimeter. They came and got us, like you said, one by one, and they kind of prolonged the process on purpose, um, put us in the paddy wagon. The thing about the paddy wagon is um, the way the, the van set up, there's four people on one side, then there's a partition you can't see on the other side, and then there's four people on the other side. So eight people in the back of the van. thing that kind of messed it up was obviously because of COVID, we had our mask on, and the cops could have been a lot worse in that scenario. They allowed some of us to take our mask down a little bit because a lot of the guys, a few of the guys were claustrophobic. I know Kenny, they threw Kenny, he was in the opposite band of me, but they tried to throw him in first and <laughs> that wasn't gonna work for him. No, nah, because you mean you, they got me behind my back, right? And I'm 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 not like the strongest, biggest guy, but my hands behind my back with my upper body, like my shoulders and my chest, that's I can't be like that. Right. So they try to throw me in the in the very front of the paddy wagon and I'm and I'm with my hands behind my back and it's tight up in there, so I'm barely I got my knees to my chest and my shoulders back and so a couple guys panicked, and I and I panicked. I'm like, sir, I can't be back here. I'll pass out. And yeah. luckily, you know, they were cool enough to let me sit towards the door. But uh, yeah, the situation could have could have gotten a lot worse quick. Yeah. How, but what did the records say? Like, like when they when they book you at the precinct or whatever at the jail, what does it say that you did to get so, this? So once we got to the jail, uh, once we got to the jail, we had they they uh, cut the zip ties off of us. 
and then they put us on the chain gang thing. So we were all chained up. All the men were together in chains. All the women were together in chains. So we got arrested maybe around 6 o'clock. Um, we sat down underneath the jail in the chains for about five hours. It was about 11 o'clock before we got processed and booked. And so it got to the point where we were sitting back like, hold up. Y'all didn't read us our rights. Y'all ain't, you know, y'all ain't tell us what we're being charged with. So the women start spazzing out like officer, because you know, you, mainly white women and stuff down there. You, they, you know, teachers and they like, hold up now, like right. tell us what we're being charged with. And they never told us anything. Um, we didn't. A lot of us didn't find out what our actual charges were until we went upstairs, got put in the cell, and we were able to make our phone call. I called my dad, and my mom had looked on the internet and was like, "Oh yeah, I saw y'all got charged with a felony." But they didn't, they didn't tell Wait. us none of that. That's uh, that's that's incredible. I, like I, I just it, it is. I mean, it's not shocking. That's the hard part about all this. None of it surprises me, but it still kind of makes you say, "Really?" I mean, yeah. just the the simple right of due process. All right, you're gonna have trumped up charges. You're gonna arrest these people who are peacefully protesting. You're gonna do all that. You can't even tell me what the charge is. You can't. Yeah. Even, we can't even get this expedited and figured out and put me in a cell. We got to be held in these kind of conditions. It's just. It's truly shameful. Um, now, just just to be clear, the the charges were dropped a, a couple of weeks ago. Correct. Just the felony. Yeah, just the felony. We still have two misdemeanors for trespassing and um, disorderly conduct. But there was nobody who was disorderly, right? You guys were peaceful. There was a couple people that were loud. Mm -hmm. um, some of the people that were loud weren't even the people that actually got arrested. Um, so we were on the line, and it was 87 of us. Originally, there was closer to about 120, 130 that were with us. But some people couldn't get arrested, weren't willing to get arrested, which is, you know, uh, fine. But they stood on the outside. We had what we call legal observers that had their phones out, a lot of people on Instagram Live, Facebook Live. That way, if the cops tried to harm us, it was all being recorded. Um, and so they were all on the outside, and they were going at the cops. There were some black cops. They were yelling at them, calling them sellouts and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that's kind of what routed up a little bit. But they weren't the people that actually got arrested. Did, did the cops get aggressive at all? Or, or was it kind of, were they calm at least when they were doing all this? Kenny. No, they were they were calm for the most part. Um, I mean, you could you could tell some of them had you know that attitude like you know what what are we doing here? Why are y'all wasting our time? I mean, I think things could have popped off if that's what our intentions would have been. But we you know we had a little training session beforehand, and you know we knew you know what our what what our strategy was, and that's you know nonviolence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Irv, you told me about that well, last time we talked about. You got, I mean, this was very organized where you guys were having yeah. training sessions, like Kenny just mentioned. Can you just explain a little bit of that, what, what that entailed. Yeah, so, uh, you know, obviously Kenny um, has been front and center, you know, trying to use his voice and his platform for years now. Um, me not being with a team, I got all the time in the world because I ain't in the bubble or whatever. So I got all the time in the world. So when he said the first time we were going, um, that was the first time I was able to meet, you know, everybody from Until Freedom. And I love the way they operate because they have a plan. They have a strategy. Uh, they think things out before they just pull up and, you know, wild out. And so they told us we were having training, like he said, um, just like with the Panthers, Dr. King or whatever. You don't know who's amongst who. Um, so we had our training session. They were like, look, trust us. You know, we're going to take care of everybody. But this is what we're doing. We can only tell you so much until we get there. And so we had about, I think it was about 130 people, maybe 25 from Kentucky. And then everybody else had flown in or drove in from other places. And so they kind of told us, like, what it's going to be like when we get arrested, who to call. We had Sharpies. We wrote down our lawyer's number on our arms um, because a lot of us didn't want to obviously carry our cell phones and stuff like that. So, you know, we were very prepared. That lasted a little over an hour or something like that. Then we got in vans, and then we, uh, you know, drove to the meeting place when we started to march. Irv, it's uh, Vince Gill. I got, I'm just curious because I think you mentioned the racial makeup of the pe people protesting. Mm -hmm. Like, what did that make you, like, feel like considering the issue? We know it's the South and everything else, but, yeah. you know, it was a percentage of black people, not majority black people. You know what I'm saying? Is it something yeah. where 
you felt like there should have been more of a black presence in that yeah. space? Yeah. So, you know, Kenny and I, we talk about this almost daily, this subject. Um, you know, I think yeah, I talked to I talked to A about it too. You know, I'm always trying to figure out how to articulate myself because I never want to turn other people off from what we're doing. I never want to make it seem like, oh, we think we're tougher and we whatever, we more, you know, with the cause than y'all are. I never want to make it seem like that. So I'm always trying to figure out how to get my words across properly. Um, but it is kind of um, disheartening sometimes because not a lot of men, black men, are present. And one, we have to take care of our women. Um, we got to take care of our men. I mean, that, that's what we're fighting for uh, right now anyway. Uh, we got we to gotta look after our women. But two, it's like, why don't enough of us care? You know, and like I said, we can easily, I can go post a black square on my Instagram page and the little fist emoji, and that's cool, and get back to my day. But, you know, like Kenny said, John Lewis, somebody we look up to, uh, obviously Dr. King, Malcolm X, like all these figures throughout history, Fred Hampton, somebody I idolized. So it's like, it's cool. Like, I grew up, I wanted to be like Mike. You know what I mean? I wanted to be like all these guys that we watched, you know, because I'm a basketball guy or whatever. But at the end of the day, this subject means more to me than anything else. So... Uh, it's just troublesome that it doesn't mean enough to enough God, people that look like us. Yeah, and, and we really just try to, like, figure out ways to encourage our brothers to be there, you know? Um, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, you don't, you don't want to, like, talk down to anybody, but, you know, it is. It's, it's frustrating, you know, to, to know that we all have family members, brothers, sisters, aunts, grandmas, you know, whatever that may be, and we, we failed to show up for our women. Um, and you see it in history. You see it in the civil rights movement in the 60s. You, you see it where we failed to show up as men for our women. And we've got to do a better job. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's frustrating, but it's a start. You know, it's, a, it's we're, like, in the midst of the movement right now. And so, you know, one of the things we talked about inside the cell with our 22 men that were in our cell was that, hey, if we can all go back to our communities or recruit men within our umbrella and our reach, and we can come back with 10 more or 100 more or 1,000 more, like we're the leaders within our group. The 22 men that were in that cell are the leaders within our community. So we, it's on us to go back and recruit other men for the next time when we got to go back and do this thing again. Mm-hmm. Well, Kenny and Irv, I want to ask you guys about that because, you know, part of it is that you guys are already there. You guys are already as far as your mentality is concerned, you're already about this. Um, and, I, you know, I'd be very curious to know from both of you guys, what was your journey to finding your voice in this way, right? Like for Kenny, for example, everybody knows you as one of the NFL guys who is willing to speak his mind, right? And, and if, let's face it, the perception, whether it's reality or not, there's a perception that football players or are more cowed, are more worried about their job security and things of that nature when it comes to speaking up um, to, to some of these issues. But Kenny, you've been somebody who's been doing it for a minute now. In fact, it's part of your persona publicly, right? Um, how were you able to find your voice that way? Um, honestly, I think it's just part of who I am and who I've been as a young person. I've always kind of been like, not like a rebel, but just like somebody that just is like, all right, this is how I feel. I'm not afraid to, to speak my mind about it. Uh, I think it kind of comes from my pops, honestly, and my mom. But the confidence in that, I think, is just knowing like I'm, I'm intelligent and I know that I can do things outside of sport. You know, if, if football were to not be my thing anymore, I trust in God and God's plan for me. So when I took a knee in 2016, it was a contract year for me. And I thought about it that way. Like, if I'm doing something um, like that's in alignment with with my purpose and and who I am and God's purpose, then like something else will fall in line for me, regardless of if football or whatever falls through. Like something else is going to happen because that's just that's just how life works. And I really fully like believe that and trust in that. And so if I got something on my heart, like I try to do my best to not speak with emotion, but really just really think and process everything that, that's going through my mind and my heart. And then, then I put it out there. That's a powerful truth. Irv? Yeah. So, you know, working for NBA teams, um, 
man, I like I, I had to have this talk with um, you know, one of my former players or whatever. Like if you scroll through my gram, we walk into an NBA arena, I got on uh the team sweats with a fist on my t-shirt, you know what I mean, with a stay woke hat. Like I was always you know, let, trying to let people knew, know, like, what I stand for. You know what I mean? Because for me, I don't do interviews. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm not the guy that all the cameras are in front of after the game and stuff like that. So I want people to know in that sense. And so, like I said, growing up, man, I was I was in love with the Panthers, man. I, like, I can't wait for this movie to come out, uh, Fred Hampton's story. I can't wait. But I was always uh, in love with those guys. And, you know, now, like I said, that I don't work for a team and we're in the mix of everything uh, because of me and Kenny's relationship and stuff like that, I got time. I'm, I'm going to be there. And so, you know, like I said, I, I always wanted to be like Mike, but I want to be like John Lewis more than I want to be like Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? Because my whole goal is to make sure that you know, my future kids, my grandkids grow up in a better society. They're not having to grow up around this gang member police uh, culture that we have. Um, you know, I just want to help, you know, be a part of change. I got a question for both of you guys. It's kind of related to that. Um, and it's about the reaction from your peers in your respective sports. Uh, Kenny, whether it was teammates or coaches or anyone like that or other coaches, players that you may have coached or worked with in the past. What was the reaction when they found out you guys were going? What was the reaction when they found out that you guys were arrested? Was it positive? Was it was it negative? I mean, I, I'm trying to get a, a picture of kind of how it was received. Kenny, let's start with you. Or Irv, or Irv let's start with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me... Um, Man, it, it it almost it almost killed me for like a week. So we got out, and obviously, you know, Kenny, uh, people knew Kenny was in. You know, uh, Portia, Yandy, YB, and Corday, all those guys. So it started to get some steam. So people slowly started to find out how Irv was with Kenny too, right? So a couple guys, a couple former players, hit me up like, "Yo, you good?" Blah blah blah. So I was like, "Man, just out of curiosity, I, I asked one of the players. I said, "Man." What was what was the energy, you know, when people say, oh, well, Irv was one of the ones that got locked up, too? And so uh, somebody said somebody said something to the effect, oh, well, everybody wants to be an activist now. Oh, right. Mm. And, and so that crushed me because it's like I train. Kenny's heard me say this, too. I train the best players in the world. Like, A knows, like, I don't you know what I mean? I, I, I work with everybody in the league, but like. I just worked out an all-star starter on Friday and I got, he had a cameraman there. I got a whole row of pictures in my phone. I ain't posted once. And you guys know how, you know, my industry works. Guys get on the court with a guy one time oh, yeah. and they posting everything. Oh like, yeah. I don't post pictures of my workouts. I don't post who I'm with. And that's what you know, it's crazy. Irv is it's August now, and this is usually prime sizzle Bro, reel season. For four months, for four <laughs> months, I had 10 NBA guys working out in Houston. I didn't post nothing but happy birthday to PJ Tucker, right? So I don't do my regular job, which is way cooler to the masses. I don't do that for clout. Like, why would y'all think we doing this for show? Like, the cops could have did whatever they wanted to us, you know what I'm saying? And so it's just disheartening that I don't need a pat on the back. I don't I don't need none of that, but to to know that that's their energy. Um, you know, I read 40 million dollar slave. I don't know if you guys read it, but in the book, man, he talks about so many things that we struggle with and we talk about with these guys. It's like they become too far removed. And so a lot of people are like, all right, cool, I'm gonna wear the shirt, I'm gonna wear it on my jersey, I'm gonna wear, you know, write something on my shoes, but like how many of y'all genuinely care? And so, you know, I think. For us, being in jail, uh, it was one of the most therapeutic things that's happened to me because sometimes I walk around and I feel like I'm a weirdo because I care so much. Like, dang, am I tripping? Like, do I need to tone it down a little bit? Like, just post something on Facebook, uh, fist, and then just keep it moving? But being with those that group of men, like Kenny said, the 22 white, black, uh, you know, different sexual uh, orientate everything, like just being with those guys helped me feel like, yo, there's other 
other of us out there, you know? Kenny, what about you? Yeah, so, I mean, the reaction from, from people, for the most part, people that know me, people that are tight with me, knew and understood, like, hey, that's what we are going out there to do. Um, and then, you know, the general public, for the most part, just was just checking on me, you know, making sure that I was okay and nothing, nothing crazy happened, that the police didn't beat us up or something. But, yeah, no, I mean, the reaction of people, like, I, I didn't, it was interesting to hear, like, to ask some of my friends, like, hey, you know, how much traction, you know, were we getting while this was going down? Was it something that wasn't like a trending topic? Was it, you know, all over the news? Like, kind of hearing that, because you never know what's happening while you're in it. And so it was interesting kind of just to hear, um, you know, people talk about the way that it was covered by the news and, um, you know, the reach that it had. And so um, obviously, you know, that's, that's what we were there to do, we just bring more attention to the case. But like Herb was saying, man, I, I think the over this time of COVID and what's been happening with the movement, I think the most like normal that I've ever felt or I felt during this time was when I was inside that jail cell with 22 dudes and, and the other, the women that were um, across the cell and next to us, so the most normal and like at peace in a sense that I've, that I've been during this, during this COVID season was right there with them men having that conversation and writing, writing stuff on the window, communicating to the other women wow. and hand signaling and mouthing to them to, you know, make sure, Hey, look, we're going to be in here for another 10 hours. Or we're going to, you know, like have any of you, have any of you gotten out? Is everyone okay? Um, you know, talking to each other through the, the air ventilators and screaming to each other, making sure everybody's okay. Um, our group of men sitting down and really peeling back the layers of who we are and how we got involved in the movement and where we're from and, um, just hearing everybody's story like that, that was the, the, like the highlight of this whole time for me. And like, I'll never forget that moment. If there was a camera inside of there to, to film that and listen to that conversation, like, like world changers, life changers, all, all in those cells. So I want to ask you guys something in, in related to that too, right? Um, and this is a fight that I have with people on the internet all the time, like who I called fancy Negroes, right? <laughs> <laughs> like essentially they go on the internet, they're using this fancy jargon, they're, you know, they're talking and they're basically on their high horse talking at people, not to people. And I'm just like, look, if we want to get more people involved we got to affect we got to um communicate more effectively and i mean to like normal people from my neighborhood right and and i think for for what i call normal people it's like somebody who ain't got 7 degrees right like and who hasn't been reading james baldwin out the crib like they but they would love to be involved and feel like they're helping um i don't think it's crazy hard to reach those people i just think people on the internet are just bad at it but for you guys cuz you guys are amongst a lot of prominent people right how do you think you do communicate to an athlete um, who's like a really successful professional athlete. Cause let's face it. Like, you know, somebody like LeBron or KD just has a lot more in common with the ownership class. than he does some school teacher who makes 50 K like whether they're black or not, like their reality is a lot further removed from them. So how do you think you get those kinds of people involved in, in the struggle for lack of a better term? Um, I mean, I think it's, that's a difficult question to answer. You know, in my, in my situation, it was, I, I chose to want to, I wanted to get involved in, like, I wanted to vote. So 2016, it would have been my, my first time voting. Um, you know, I wasn't paying attention in college. My parents never talked to me about politics. I didn't have a party. Um, you know, I wasn't a history buff. Like I, you know, I wasn't into any of it. And so when 2016 came along, I was like, oh, well, I want to vote. So I had to start educating myself and paying attention to the debates and, you know, picking who I wanted, um, you know, for, you know, who I wanted to, to vote for. And so it was a choice on my end. Um, and then when I started paying attention to what was happening, I started paying attention to current events. And as I started paying attention to current events, I, I started seeing black and brown people just being killed by police officers and no justice being served and so i was like it really like really messed me up like to be like damn all right this has been happening all this time and nobody's doing anything about it and so from there then i started educating myself more reading books and listening to podcasts and everything and then i was like all right well i have to do something about it i have to get involved 
And so right now, I think we're at a point where people are a little bit more interested. And, you know, like I'll say, like, there's guys in the locker room that come and talk to me and ask questions. And so, like, today I had a conversation with one of, um, you know, our star players about police unions and how, you know, they're really like the gangs of this country, you know, the real mob. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, they really Damn, what, what so, did J.J. Watt say? You know, the more we start to just kind of talk and educate and just have those like real basic baseline conversations. I think people start to be like, damn, that's crazy. Like, well, what can I do about it? How do I get involved? And so it's a slow process, man. It's a slow process of just recruiting people one by one and hoping that they educate the people within their umbrella. But um, yeah, it's a choice that has to be made, man. And that's why like I've kind of taken it upon myself to try and build this culture of consciousness, this culture of awareness, um, within my friend group and the people that I can come in contact with, because the more we know and the more we're paying attention, I think the more people uh, will want to, you know, stand up and do something about it. Irv, I'm curious. Um, yeah. You mentioned the fact that there's 22 teams in the bubble, and there's going to be a few wind up coming out, um, you know, as time goes on. But there's eight teams outside of it. Do yeah. you think that there's a unique opportunity? for players who are not being as visible because they're not in that atmosphere to do things, to draw attention to the case without necessarily social media actually having boots on the ground. Like, is there anything that you feel like you can do to kind of mobilize guys where you are in maybe a basketball sense and a civic sense? Yeah. So uh, I just got back. I'm in LA now. I just got back from Kentucky on Sunday. Um, I'm going back to Kentucky on Friday. And what I did was I, I posted some stuff, but I, you know, I, I got a lot of relationships with a lot of guys in the league. Um, and if I don't know them personally, I know their teammates. So I hit up as many guys as I knew um, to come back with me this coming up weekend. Um, we'll be there Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What are those dates? We're going to uh, the 15th and 16th of August. So we're going to feed 2000 families on Saturday. Um, we're doing um, some stuff in the community as far as back to school stuff and, and things of that nature until freedom, you know, obviously out there protesting, out there trying to get justice. But I think one of the most important things, and Kenny is huge uh, with mental health, the thing with um, the Louisville community, there's protests every day, right? There's rallies every day, um, all peaceful for the most part. But, you know, you just think of a kid growing up during this time, right? COVID going on, you can't have regular school, your regular sport and activities, plus all the racial tension going on in your city. It's like, wow, like that's got to be overwhelming for a child, you know? So we're trying to do as much as we can to try to uplift their spirit. So I have a couple NBA guys that are coming with me this week. I'm going to keep blowing guys up, even a couple WNBA girls that aren't in the bubble. And so I'm going to ask them to come you know, uh, get in the streets with me, feed some families, and then I'm going to do a basketball clinic on Saturday evening. Um, we're inviting some of Breonna Taylor's family, um, some people from her community, and there's a black college that we'll be doing it at. So we're going to have some people from that community as well, you know, come meet some basketball players, take some pictures and stuff like that. Because it's like I said, I mean, everybody's way of giving back is different. Everybody uh, is, is different. So I think just this way of uplifting the community, that's that's good enough for me, you know? Right. Especially as a start. And I think, man, you might want to call Kyrie. I don't know if you got his numbers. He sounded like this was something that he yeah, he I, wanted to do. Or I that's what he was Kai. saying before. I don't yeah. know. Maybe he changed his mind. I don't know. Yeah, I text Kai um, I text Kai <laughs> Sunday. We have a great relationship. Oh, uh, nice. I, yeah, I, I, we had a great relationship. I text Steph Curry. Uh, Draymond, I, I hit all those guys, man. Um, we, we good friends or whatever. But, you know, at the end of the day, man, one of the things me and Kenny talk about is, you know, not focus on our energy on guys that can't or no, of won't course. pull up. You of know, course. Like, yeah, I mean, that it gets the tough for me. The people who are, who are supporting and, and, and actually in community with you guys, that's who the focus should always be yeah. on, the people who show up, straight up. I'm light-skinned, man. I, you know what I mean? I get sensitive <laughs> sometimes. I'm like, hold up, yo. You know what I mean? Like, you ain't even respond to my text. You know what I'm saying? But if I said we was having a pool party in Scottsdale, right. 
everybody right. would pull up, you know? But right, right. I just got to right. let it go, man, and fuck with those guys. <laughs> so we can make them skin jokes, now he just opened Hey, 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 listen, I, I was sitting here like, hey, man, uh, freaking Kenny's a beautiful Negro. He going to attract some people to the movement right. now. Come on now. We got to put a face on it. We got to. We got to, man. We got to win. It don't matter. We got to use what we got. Exactly. Right. You know, what's crazy about that is uh, the first time we went to Kentucky, I I uh, put on my Twitter, look, like, if you want to pull up from all over the country, like, I got you. Like, I'll pay for your flight, your busing, oh your housing, wow. your gas money, your rental car, whatever it is. Like, however you can get there, I got it. Just hit me up, send me the receipt. I'll cash out you, Venmo, Zelle, whatever you need. And when I look back at the list, it was, I think we had, like, 25 people come, like, individually. And then we had brought in another, like, 25 from Louisiana. Um, wow. But it was mainly women. You know, because, like, if I look at my Instagram <laughs> or, like, the people that, like, on, on, like, the statistics, it's all, like, like girls. And so um, it is what it is. But, shoot, like, I'll, I'll, run, powerful, I'll run with that's... the women of the movement any day, bro. Especially, right. like, I think of that's course. something that I really, really learned from being a part of uh, the protests and being with the 87 is, like, the women have, have run this movement from the beginning. Right. And they're going to yep. continue to run this movement. Yep. And we got to do a good job of lifting them up, protecting them, following them. Their, their heart and their passion is carrying this. Yeah, you know absolutely. what I'm saying. Like th- that's the that's the NBA behind this. Absolutely. I want to I want to shift gears a little bit uh, to a column that Vinny wrote a couple weeks ago, or actually, actually it was a week ago, right, Vinny? Yep. Yep. Yeah, so Jonathan Isaac of the Orlando Magic, uh, he chose not to kneel for the anthem, which I think is is fine. That's his prerogative. He chose not to wear a Black Lives Matter shirt. Again, that's fine. That's his prerogative. But when asked afterward why and how he felt about <laughs> Black Lives Mattering, he gave, Irv, you he gave a very, a very roundabout answer. V- Vinny, you're, you're a professional journalist who's written on this. Can you describe how Jonathan Isaac answered yeah, that well, question? Well, how would you describe his response and like your analysis of it? Because I know you did a fantastic job in the piece, but some of the listeners may not have read that piece yet. Well, I mean, to put it in layman's terms, you know, people who try to use religion or try to use, quote unquote, God to defend themselves against black people and black people's people's humanity. I'm not really going for that. Like, usually we say if somebody says something about religion, we back off. Right. You say something about God. That's like the ultimate sort of, you know, trump card, lack of a better phrase. Right. That's like that's the big joke on your forehead. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't care if you kneel. Or don't kneel. Like, it's a performative thing. It's not even like a demonstration. You know what I'm saying? It's not even like an act of defiance anymore. It's just something that you do now. Like, kneeling was something three or four years ago that really, really meant something to me, something now. But it meant a whole lot more back then. And then, okay, you don't want to wear a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. All right, cool, whatever. But let me know something besides what he said. He said, well, with my God, we have all sinned and da-da-da-da. And in my book, that sounded like, all lives matter. What about China? What about black mm. on black crime? And one thing you're not going to do is put God on one side and black people on the other side, because yeah. that, that's just completely disingenuous. And the people in my mentions, y'all, who were upset with me, I mean, I was called the devil doing oh, no. the devil's work. Whoa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whoa. And you best believe it wasn't nobody black saying that. Oh, mm. Yeah. Yeah, Herb, what was your reaction when all, yeah, that whole so thing you know, Yeah, so you know my dad's a preacher. Um, oh, wow. My dad's a preacher. And I have a lot of, in my circle, a lot of preachers, a lot of pastors. And so oh, I, was, I, was, I was hot when I first saw that. Hmm. Um, Myers Leonard chose not, he wore the shirt but didn't kneel. Right. Um, Pop didn't kneel. Jonathan. Yeah. And, and, and so for me, I, I'm, past, I'm past anybody on that side kneeling. Eric Reed, Colin Kaepernick, Kenny Stills did it, and it took courage because they were out there on the island, and they knew it could be consequences for their actions. Now, and there was consequences. It was con- for the actions. It was consequences <laughs> for the actions. Now, it's like, hold on. It's like we had this little private talk. Hey, y'all, let's all kneel together. They can't. They can't get mad at us all. You know what I'm saying? And so it's a safe space now. 
You know what I mean? Like we throwing up fists and all that. Like, why weren't you doing that four years ago? Because in the NBA, all those players individually, they have more power than in the NBA, uh, NFL players. So yes. these top players in the NBA, they weren't gonna get they weren't gonna get blackballed. You know, so why y'all didn't have that courage four years ago? And I get it, it takes everybody a little longer, but at the same time, like I said, it's safe. With with Jonathan Isaac. I was very disturbed, and I reached out to a couple preachers before I commented on um, mm-hmm. the matter. But mm-hmm. you talk about God, you talk about Jesus and all of these things. Jesus died in police custody. Hey, <laughs> amen. <laughs> you know hey, what I'm saying? So hey, like, that's real. That's and, so, and so for you to sit there and say you're going to sit there and kind of, you know, toe the line, like it's a slap in the face to Breonna Taylor's family, to like go like it's it's one thing, right? It's one thing if I say as a man, we're all men, we've all sinned. It's one thing for me to sin, um, and, and, and commit a sin and ask God for forgiveness, right? Police brutality is not a sin. It's something that's planned, it's something that's targeted every single day. So this ain't an accident, oh God, my bad. This is something that they're purposely looking out to go out and do. Um, and for him to not be educated enough to see that is very, is very uh, disturbing. I mean, and, you know, for me, my, my thing is when people, you know, they bandy about the Christian stuff and I happen to go to, you know, Catholic school for 12 years of my life. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, two things I know for a fact is the, you know, Jesus would say his mission was to serve the, the, the afflicted, the poor people of society. And that's exactly who police officers attack. It's not rich people. It's not no. like, you're never going to get your head bust in Brentwood or Beverly Hills. Sorry, it's not going to happen. Like, they're not going to pull up in front of your house over there and, and kick your ass. It's poor people yeah. who are being targeted and marginalized and treated this way, right? Like, that that's who the police go after. So this idea that you would kick some, some Jesus knowledge to me. Uh, and I know for a fact that poor people and, you know, a lot of people, black people don't want to hear this, but poor white people get, they get pretty jammed up by the cops too. Um, it just happens that we're disproportionately poor because America's racist as fuck. But like, I know for a fact that, you know, this, the, the, this police brutality is freaking targeted at poor people. And if Jesus stood for one thing, it was the protection of poor people. So I don't, I don't get the Christian thing at all. I kind of just, that, that thing got punted. I I, I punted that thing. Like that was a shield. It was, it was just a shield to distract from his real feelings on the conversation. Like, like I can't remember exactly what scripture it was, but it was like ninety-nine sheep were following Jesus, and one had gotten away, and he was going to get <laughs> he the was other. Led he, said, he said, "Why?" And he said, "If I don't get all of them, then none of it matters." And to me, that's the definition of "quote unquote" Black Lives Matter. You know yeah. what I'm saying? All lives can't matter unless Black Lives Matter. Right. But you can't say that to people who are not interested in having a good faith conversation. We have a lot of bad faith actors in society, mm-hmm. in politics, in media who don't mm-hmm. want to talk about the topic at hand that everybody knows we're talking about. Like intellectually, people are smart enough to understand exactly what people are talking about when they say black lives matter. doesn't mean better or worse. It means we want to be treated equally as it's supposed to be. Not necessarily intended by the constitution because the, the constitution states something completely different, but what this country aims to be or purports itself to be, that's what people are fighting for. And for Jonathan Isaac, all of 22 years old, Mm-hmm. I give him a little bit of grace because he's 22 and he hasn't lived yet. Who knows where he got his ideology from, right? You know, you got a lot of people in your ear that was probably rehearsed. That was around the first game. So I'm thinking yeah. that was something that had been talked about, you know, with his circle, with his people before. And he probably believed that once he said God and everything else, yeah. that, that was going to get people to back off and not get follow-up questions. And when the follow-up questions came, he had no answer, so he looked silly. He looked uneducated, and hopefully with this time, you know, that he's going to be sitting down, hopefully he'll be able to understand that, if nothing else, his own black life deserves a little bit better than the response he gave it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, before you get started, um, and with Myers Leonard, because I wanted to address both of them on social media, so Myers Leonard is the same as, like, Drew Brees. It's like, all right, you say Black Lives Matter, 
with your, your, your reasoning, and you don't have to take a knee, but your reasoning for not taking the knee is because you, you want to show respect to the troops. Do you not think that black and brown people fight for this country every single day? Right. You know what I mean? So, like, that can't be your reasoning at this point in the game. We've talked about it too many times. So, And the military doesn't own the flag. Like, since when did the flag become proxy for the military? Like, the military. when did they own, when did they decide, when did we decide that they own the flag and everything right. is related to the flag? Again, I feel like that's a diversionary tactic. It's not as disingenuous. Yeah. Some people do believe that the military owns the flag, right. but they don't own the flag. And if they do, then we really need to be having a completely different discussion. Yeah. Kenny, I, I want to ask you a question about while you're going through all this in Louisville, I know you're, you're, you know, you were committed, but what were some of the worries that you had going in? My, my only worry was, uh, if they were to get violent and just if they being the police, you know, if they were to get violent, what, what could happen, you know, knowing that, you know, uh, we were all there willing to give our lives for the cause for Brianna to bring more light to this, to this case. And so that, that was literally my only worries. Like, all right, well, if today is the last day, like, you know, you, that's it. You were and ready. I, it's like, I didn't call my, my parents and let them know. I didn't, you know, like I had my friends knew a couple of my friends, my like closest friends knew one of my friends that was there. She, she didn't um, get arrested. So she took all of our stuff and so she could help us get out. But yeah, my, my literal only fear was like, all right, well, if, if today's the last day, then that's it. Yeah. That, that, that's why you were ready for that. Yeah. You were all of us, all of us were. Did you put Vaseline on your face like the shorties in my neighborhood used to before a fight? I don't know why. They, like, what was the reasoning behind that? Is that because, like, boxers did it? Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, but y'all remember that, right? Like, before a yeah. fight, people would just just smear all kinds of Vaseline on their face. Gina, Gina did that on the episode of Martin when she was about to fight Martin's teacher. Y'all remember that? That's the, that's the epitome of light skin energy. We gotta do what we gotta do, man. <laughs> we were ready, one hundred percent. Irv, I'm just, I'm just curious too. Like, does fear ever factor in to both of you guys? Does fear ever factor in when you're getting arrested? Like, you know, it's peaceful and everything else, and someone will have to be really, really stupid to harm you guys with everything that's around. But somebody will have to be really, really stupid to harm the people that they've harmed over the course of the last, you know. 400 years, and especially on the camera phone era. So was did fear ever factor into the equation that I'm not Irv Roland, I'm not Kenny Stills, I'm just the guy that's getting arrested right now by the state? Yeah, so my, my first thought with that is, um, like Kenny said, I just feel like God is going to handle it, right? Whatever God has for me is for me, right? So like Kenny said, I went into the situation just feeling like, look, if we're supposed to die today, then God already had this mapped out. There's nothing that I could do to change that. You know what I'm saying? Like, God has my steps ordered already. So then, you know, I had people after the fact, oh, man, why y'all couldn't just whatever, whatever. And I'm like, me being scary in the house isn't going to change my faith, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Brianna Taylor was safely in her home when they killed her. So me being in my house, being scared, doesn't ensure my safety. You know what I mean? So I just feel like I got to be frontline and, you know, God is just going to handle the rest, man. Yeah. I mean, you're, fe you're fearful, but like you said, you know, like I trust in, I trust in the plan or whatever that plan is. And I know that, you know, I have the opportunity to go out there and I, you know, I've got the resources to be there. Like I want to show up and do my best because I can't do something that I wouldn't, you know, I can't do something or, yeah, I can't do something and then try to ask people to do something that I wouldn't do, basically. You know what I'm saying? So um, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I can't, I can't ask other people to do it if I'm not going to do it myself. 
Well, man, you know, I know we got to talk about serious stuff because it's a serious time, but I, I do want to ask about the season. Um, oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sorry. What, what do you want me to do? We got we got an NFL guy here. Um, you know, you've seen the NBA players were able to pretty quickly um, get a deal done with 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 the owners of the N- NBA. And I, and, and I talked to Dominique about this, somebody who worked in both unions. Dominique Foxworth of the undefeated. And he was like, there's a lot of power concentrated at the top of the players association. So essentially if LeBron and Chris Paul and, and, and KD and all the prominent guys in the NBA essentially say, yo, this is what we're going to do. They've been empowered by their membership to go ahead and get deals done. There's power concentrated. Um, I don't know that that's the case in the football union. Um, at whatsoever. So what do you think? How optimistic are you about the season? Do you feel confident? Do you feel safe? What's your thoughts right now with an NFL season happening this fall? I mean, you, I'm I'm a person. I'm a realist for the most part. So I look at what's happened with the other leagues, uh, baseball, and you see, um, you know, they're not necessarily in a bubble. We're not going to be in a bubble. Um, you know, so I think it'll be difficult for us to to have a full season with the virus being out there and the way that it spreads. But I mean, it's one of those things that uh, I guess we're going to have to see. You know, I definitely considered opting out. I was, you know, up until the last minute, uh, you know, making that decision. And, and honestly, if there wasn't a deadline, you know, a couple hours after the deadline, I was like feeling more confident. I'm like, okay, I can make this decision. You know, to sit out the season and really. Um, you know, protect myself, protect my family and be able to really focus on the movement. But uh, yeah, I don't, you know, we'll we'll see how things go. You know, I'm really proud of the college football players for standing up for themselves, man. I, I, um, you know, trying to get together and put together their own players association and protect themselves and protect some of the other smaller schools or schools that didn't have any type of COVID like regulations. Um, So I'm really proud of of the young guys. And I mean, it just, you we have terrible leadership right now from the top, you know, the person running the country all the way to his friends and the people that are, you know, the leaders of, of all the, all of sports and in government all the way around. And so um, this thing really could have been nipped in the bud like other countries were doing and we chose not to. And so now we're in a situation where people are dying and they want to be entertained. So (laughs) athletes are going to be out there and, I mean, it kind of is what it is, like the president said. Wow. Uh, Irv, uh, real quick, one more time, let the people know for those players that are trying to get in contact with you, they want to come out, get some work in, but also do some good. Uh, what's What are the plans again? Yeah, so August 15th and 16th, we'll be in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, they can contact me, 504-234-8686. Um, we're going to feed 2,000 families. We're going to do some back-to-school giveaways and stuff like that. Really try to uplift the community. Quick little basketball clinic. And if they want to work out, we got stuff available for that as well. So I'm, I'm going to end with this. I'm going to ask everybody on the call this question. Um, realistically speaking, 12 months from now, what would be a realistic, optimistic appraisal of where the country is going to be was i'm gonna start with you and then we'll go irv then kenny then then Vinny. i mean for me uh, a win in all of like i i though i understand the rhetoric of or the the concept of a defunded police or or uh extinguish the police or whatever we're calling it abolish the police um, while I understand that for me, and maybe I'm not radical enough or whatever, to me, a win is just a broad shift um, amongst the white people in this country as far as their conception, how they view the police. I think what you've seen over the last four months um, with people, you know, just the willingness for leagues and brands to come out and just say Black Lives Matter it's a repudiation of the concept that the cops are infallible, that the cops can never do wrong, that the cops are justified in every single fucking thing that they do. 
Um, I think if we continue in that direction, because let's face it, it's white people who the approval rating of police is basically like 99%. Um, I think if we continue in a in a um in a direction where our white citizens start to understand that the cops kind of fuck up all the time, way too much, and we need to implement um mechanisms to stop that. Then, then we won. If we're continuing to move in that direction, I, you know, maybe I'm cynical or whatever. I just find it hard to believe that overnight that white people don't want cops around. Um, but you know, I think if we're moving, obviously moving in that direction, even from what Irvin Kenny is saying today about what it was like in Louisville to be essentially surrounded by white people for an issue that it, that mainly affects the black community over there, which I think is encouraging. There's a way to look at it and say there's not enough black people there, but, you know, these things used to just be only black people. So it's dope to see that other citizens who don't have a direct involvement in the consequences of that stuff are starting to see that, yo, man, this shit is not right. We, we, we want to see something else happen. So I'm encouraged by that. If we still see things moving in that direction, I'll be encouraged by it. Irv. Yeah, so, um, you know, Kyrie talked about it a little bit. Like, I wasn't big on guys going back to play sports. Um, I think a lot of times sports is a uh, distraction. And I think with the movement, we had a lot of momentum. And it's still been kind of carried on a little bit. You know, guys are trying somewhat to use their voices in the bubble and whatnot. The women, um, shout out to the, all the girls in the WNBA. They go so hard, man. Um, and I appreciate the heck out of them. Um, but they've been doing this for years. But um, I just hope that, you know, people continues, continue to try to educate themselves on these issues and um, we don't lose our momentum, you know, with things kind of, you know, trickling back to normalcy, kids going to school, more sports. I hope people try to educate themselves and we don't lose our momentum. Uh I know Kenny will talk about it. I hope we can move in the direction of uh, reparations. I hope we can move into, um, you know, better training for our police officers. I think that's that's very huge. It makes no sense that my barber has to go to get educated longer than a police officer to get in uniform. So I hope that's where we are a year from now. Kenny. Yeah, I'm going to keep it real, G, with y'all, that, like, my optimism over the next for the next year isn't very high, but the things that I'm, I'm focusing on are, is the topic of reparations, the conversation around reparations. Um, I've worked on something personally, you know, for myself that I want to present. And I've, you know, looked at what other people that have been working on uh, the topic of res re reparations, you know, for a while and the things that they're doing. So really just trying to do my best to get the ball rolling and keep that thing rolling and educate people and, um, you know, do something around the conversation of reparations. And then, like you were talking about, um, taking the funds that we have been investing into our police and, and just reinvesting them into our communities. If we can do that all across our country or in places that, um, you know, we have these instances of police violence and where, you know, our police aren't protecting and serving our community to be able to take the money that we're investing into them because we've been investing that money into them for so long and, it's a bad investment. I mean, we like yeah. <laughs> anywhere else, you know, in this country of capitalism, like we, you know, if it's a bad investment, we would have pulled our, our money up out of there a long right. time ago. So uh, to be able to just switch our mindset and reimagine uh, justice and reimagine um, community policing and, and be able to take those funds and to, you know, put them into our community. I think, you know, if we can do that over the next year, we'll see a lot of change and um, a lot less deaths, you know, by the hands of our of our law enforcement. Vinny. Well, I, as, as a journalist, I'm naturally more cynical and skeptical, probably than the average human being. But but in the in the context of this, and we we are sports guys. Uh, one of my favorite coaches is Hubie Brown, and he was taking I think a job with the Memphis Grizzlies, and they asked him what his philosophy was about turning around a losing franchise, and he says, you know, every night after a loss, I hurt, but if I get you to hurt like I hurt, then we're going somewhere. And if you put that in the context of black and white, or if you put that in the context of black people with everybody else, if everybody else hurts, like we hurt when something goes wrong, then that's the first step to being able to figure something out. I do believe that we are kind of in this sort of moment of reckoning. We're in a moment of self-evaluation. We're in a moment where we have to reevaluate all the things that we consider to be normal 
And I remember MLK reading, reading something on MLK. It, was, it wasn't a letter from a Birmingham jail, but he said, you know, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice, which basically says, look, it's going to take a long time and baby steps to get things to where we want to get it to. And I know we want to speed things up as fast as possible. And I know we're going to go through some protest fatigue. And I think to some degree, that's where we're at right now with some level of protest fatigue, where you want to know that people are truly listening and paying attention and the energy and the passion is still there. I'm hoping that a year from now, that when the Black Lives Matter signs don't come up for the least because it's not, you know, trendy or in vogue, that the energy is still there, that the accountability is still there. And if that's still there, then hopefully we can move towards some of these other tangible goals that have been up for the better part of 400 years. Man, what, a, what great answers all around. Uh, let, let's, let's end it on this. Let's end it on a positive note because before we started recording, Kenny, you brought something up that I, I never knew. That the winner of the first Kentucky Derby ever, the jockey, was actually a black man, and that before Reconstruction, it was actually the Kentucky Derby was that had a lot of uh, black presence in it. So educate us all a little bit more about that. You want to take yours? Yeah, man. So uh, back in the day, um, blacks, you know. We ran, we were like horse jockey, like that's what we did. It was mm. like basketball now. The majority of it was black men. Um, and so basically what they did, they forced us out um, through, you know, scare tactics. Um, you know, some some guys were harmed, um, you know, a lot of blackballing. Um, and then reconstruction happened and we were out of there. And then all of that stuff, just like everything else in this country, kind of got swept under the rug and nobody knows about it. You know what I mean? Here we are in 2020. Right. Nobody knows like, you know, for us now in 2020, we think of, you know, uh, horse racing and stuff like that. We only think of small white men, you right. know what I mean? Uh, but we ran this sport and it's just like everything else. They try to brush it under the rug and we don't know our history. They erase it. They don't brush it yeah. under the rug. They try to erase it. They try to make yeah. sure that we don't even find it. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm glad I learned about that. I'm glad I learned a lot today. Thanks a lot to our guests. Thank you, Kenny Steele. Thank you, Irv Roland. Thank you, Vincent Goodwill uh, for Big Waz. <laughs> I'm Amin Al-Hassan. Shout out to Rob Lopez, our producer. And we'll talk to you all next time.